Good morning, South Winds. It is good to be with you all again. I was here about six weeks ago. A lot of things have happened since I was last here. I got to go to different parts of the world and meet some of our international missionaries that you support through the cooperative program. I went to Malaysia. I was there at the Baptist Malaysian Convention for their 70th anniversary, and I was able to preach there. I was the only guy that didn't look like a Malaysian. I mean, the Mal- it, was, it was weird, but it was great, and they were speaking in different languages, and I loved it, uh, and the food was awesome. And then I got to go to Japan and met all kinds of our missionaries there as well. We were there for uh, 13 days, my wife and I, with other other people from other states. And we got to see the work that is happening in Japan. And can I tell you, both of these places, what really struck me was the lostness there. There is less than 1% evangelical Christians in both of these countries. In Malaysia, it's against the constitution for you to evangelize a person that is from Malaysia, that, was, that, that is a Mali. It's against, they'll throw you in jail. It's, it's in the constitution. I mean, it's, it's horrible. And in Japan, we just saw this desperate need for the hope that is found in Jesus. We, we, we found a, a country that is declining in population and that is just desperate and just it, it just, it was so sad to walk into a restaurant and to see uh, uh, places where people just come and eat by themselves. They walk in, they walk out, they didn't want to disturb anybody. And it's just people coming and going just so busy. We were in Tokyo, we were in Osaka. And so we, we met the missionaries there. We saw the strategies that they're using. Uh, my prayer is to take a team of, of pastors uh, this next year and connect them so that they can take some of their church members to work there. So I don't know if, if Pastor Mike, I mean, he travels all over the world apparently. Maybe he'd go to Japan with me. Uh, but, but that's what we're doing. Uh, that's what we've done since we were last with you uh, and, and been preaching in different churches up and down our state and, and just seeing God move, which is wonderful. And I, and I heard the testimony that 41 people got baptized two weeks ago here in Southwinds, and I just can't thank the Lord enough. Let's give him a round of applause. And for those of you who took that step of obedience, what a blessed day I'm sure that was for you. And it was just as much of a blessed day for this congregation to see that. Uh, because it, there's, there's, it's powerful when, when we proclaim with our testimony, right, who we are in Christ, and how wonderful that that happened. And I pray that you guys get to, you know, maybe another 40 here before the end of the year, and, and, and that you see people doing that, uh, just taking that step of obedience, right, and demonstrating and proclaiming to everybody what Christ has done in them. And uh, it is just, it's just so good to be with you guys again. And I get to preach out of Romans chapter 10. I'm one of the best chapters in Romans. Like Romans is a tough uh, chap, a book to read, but Romans chapter 10 is probably one of the best ones and one of my favorites and, and one that is quoted all the time. And in it, what we find is how to find righteousness with God, having righteousness with God. And what we find in this passage in, in, in Romans chapter 10 is Paul writing to the church in Rome, dealing with the issue of salvation, being in, a, in that righteous relationship with 
with God. There was a kid that grew up in, in the church that we, uh, where I grew up as a child, and, and this, this kid was you know, about my daughter's age. My daughter's here with, with me today. My wife is here with me today, and this kid was a couple years younger than my daughter, and I used to love to do this thing and just do the pound thing, you know, like try to be hip when you're not hip and you do the pound thing, and then I used to be like, righteous, dude, and he'd be like, righteous, and, and, and I used to tell him, we're cool, we're cool, you know, and so that, that word righteous, I try to teach it to him when he was a child. And that being cool, that being in the right relationship with God is the thing that is so important for every individual, for every individual. And, and, it's, and it's, there's so many messages out there of how you can be right with God, depending on the God that you believe in, right? But we understand that the scripture teaches us that there's one God. And he is a God that is in three persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so when we talk about being right in a righteous relationship, we're talking a righteous relationship with, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Love the testimony. She said, I was running away from Jesus, right? Running away from Jesus. And how important it is for, to run to him, right? To run to God and to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and to run to the true God and, and, and be in a right relationship with him. When I was a child growing up at that church that I was talking to you about earlier, I remember a deacon one day coming up to me and says, Pete, what, what do you need to do to be saved? Or how do you know that you're saved was the questions that he asked me. And I said, well, um, I, I said a prayer. I, I gave my, my life to Jesus. Jesus lives in my heart. And so I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I live differently. I behave in a certain way. I come to church and he stopped me right there. He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, he, he tells me, he corrects me and he tells me, what it takes for you to be in a right relationship with God is that you invite him to come into your life and you ask him forgiveness for your sins believing in who he is. That's all. The rest of the stuff that you're talking about is the consequence of that decision that you made and that belief that you have. And I must have been about nine years old, right, and really churched. I mean, I had been to every Sunday school class, every vacation Bible school that there was. And so I... I in my mind, I'm thinking all the stuff, and I want to make sure I get it right. So I'm saying everything that I had. But the reality is that the gospel is simple. We have to confess him as our Lord and our God, believing in our heart and who he is and what he's done for us. Amen? That's the gospel message. That's what we need for salvation. But in this letter that Paul writes to the church of Rome, he finds that there's a group of Jewish believers that don't have that right. They have that incorrect. And in this passage, what he says in the beginning of chapter 10 and verse 1, and I'm just going to go reading verse by verse as we get all the way down to verse 13, actually. But we see on here that he says, my, Brothers, my heart desire and prayer to God concerning them is for their salvation. And he is referring to the Jews. 
to God's chosen people, the people that God chose to reveal himself through. He says, my desire for them and my prayer for them is that they may have a righteous relationship with God, that they may be saved. Because what we find in Scripture is that it is, it's two things. When it comes to salvation, there is two plans that are shared in, in, in Scripture. You ready for this? And then you're going, what kind of heresy is he teaching? There's two kinds of plans that are shared in Scripture. One of them is a foolish plan. The foolish plan that failed, the foolish plan that was meant to fail, the foolish plan that was never meant to succeed, that was practiced by Israel. It was a stumbling block for them to have the real plan, and that's God's plan. And so this morning, I want to start off by looking at Israel's foolish failed plan for righteousness, for salvation. Israel's foolish failed plan for salvation. We see it here. In, in verse 5, it says, it says of chapter 10, for Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law. They thought that they could be saved through the law, doing the things that Moses had written that God had given to them that they were supposed to live by, all these things that they were supposed to do, all these religious things that they were supposed to do. They thought that they could be saved through that. That was their way to attempt to be in a righteous relationship with God, being faithful to the law. However, I will give you a couple things that we find here in this passage about how they were wrong in this and how they practiced this wrong. First, what we find is that they thought that they could obtain righteousness, a right relationship with God by having the wrong, by having great religious seal, by having great religious passion towards what they were doing and living out this law. In verse 2 of chapter 10, it says, I testify about them, again the Jews, that they have great seal for God, but not according to knowledge. They had great passion, much like Paul did when he was persecuting the church. In Philippians, in chapter 3, in verse 6, it says that regarding seal, he himself, he persecuted the church. Regarding righteousness, that is the law, he was blameless. When, 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 when Paul was yet not a man of faith in Jesus Christ, he was a man who he himself was trying to live according to the law, and he had great seal to the point that he persecuted the church. He took people that proclaimed to have Jesus as Lord, people that were believers, and he would beat them and put them in jail. And we see in the book of Acts, he was there when, when Stephen was, 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 was stoned to death. And he, he was leading this charge. He had great seal for, for the law and what he believed. He was fervent. He was enthusiastic. He was vicious when it came to the seal and what he believed about the law and that you had to keep the law. To this day, there is no greater group, I believe, that has seal towards the law than the Jews. But the reality is that just having seal and passion towards the law will never save you. It's a foolish plan that is, 
that, that will fail. Seal must be based on knowledge. The knowledge of who Jesus is. The knowledge about what the scripture tells us that, that Christ came to do. And there are many cults today. There are many religious groups out there that, that have people that are full of seal. I mean, you get these, the, the, the Mormons, they, they take the, the kids as soon as they graduate from high school and they send them out like for two years as missionaries. That's, that's like an automatic. And they make them tithe. Do you know that? Like you have to tithe if you're going to be a good Mormon. I mean, you see the Jehovah Witnesses too, right? I mean, those guys, when do they sleep? They come knocking at my door way too early in the morning. <laughs> I saw them at the train stations in, in Japan. They were out there with their, little, with their little stands and their little magazines, you know, looking real pretty. But they're lost. They have a lot of seal. They have a lot of passion for what they do in their religious act. But folks, that will not save them. Think of the Muslims. Pray five times a day. And, 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 they, and they do all the religious things that they have to do. They give, they, they give to the poor and they, 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 they go and, and to, to the Holy Land, right, to do all the things that they do to, to, to get salvation. And yet, that will not make them saved. That will not bring salvation to them. Religion will not bring salvation these Jews were incorrect. Seal, just having passion for something, giving it your all, that will not bring salvation. There was a story on TV that a reporter uh, was sharing that this little girl had a liver problem. And the next day, a lot of people called in and they wanted to donate one of their livers. Did you guys get that? You know you only have one liver, right? And you kind of need it to live. That's great that they wanted to deliver one of their livers, but there's only one and you can't give it to anybody else unless you're dead, okay? Folks, seal without knowledge will not save you. You can be passionate about something and sincere about your passion but you can be sincerely wrong. And the Jews were sincerely wrong. In their foolish failed plan, they thought they could attain righteousness with God by having great seal, but also by having good deeds. By the deeds of, 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 of their hands. What we find in, in verse 3 and 4 here in chapter 10, it says, because they disregarded the righteousness from God and attempted to establish their own righteousness... They have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Christ is the, is the final, the last uh, sacrifice that is needed to fulfill the need to be right with God. They sacrifice animals and they shed the blood of the animals to appease God for their sins. But Christ, the Lamb of God, is the last Lamb, that, that the perfect Lamb whose blood is shed for those who would receive Him. 
He is the one that satisfies. It's not through our works, and yet they thought it was through their works. In Romans chapter 9, if you go back just a little bit there in your Bible, in verse 31 and 32, look at what it says. Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, had not achieved the law. Why is that? Because they did not pursue it by faith. They did not pursue it by faith in Jesus, but as, it, as if it were by works. They tried to do it by their good deeds. They stumbled over the stumbling block. Jesus was their stumbling block. The book of Isaiah tells us that our good works are like filthy rags before the Lord. Good works is what comes out of a life of obedience to God, out of a love towards God. Good works is not what saves us. Good works will only show that we have good intentions or are trying to be nice, but, but good works was never meant to actually bring salvation to us. Good works is, is a, for the believer is a fruit of, of, of what God has done in our hearts and, and how we are to, to treat others and how we are to live a life of, of righteousness. But it's not what brings us into a righteous relationship with God. Amen? Do we understand that? It's so important that we understand that. And the fact that they were trying to do it themselves demonstrates that they didn't understand who Christ was. They didn't understand when Christ said on the cross, it is finished, it is done. I have pleased my, my Father in heaven. It is done. Every religion says you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to be good. You have to. Christ says, I have done it. It is done. It is done. All we have to do is come to him, give our lives to him, believing in who he is, amen? In their foolish failed plan, they thought they could obtain righteousness again with, with God by having great religious seal, by doing good deeds, and let her see, by misinterpreting the law. By misinterpreting the law. They were not paying attention to, to what the law was for. In, in, in verses 5 through, through 7, it says this, For Moses writes about righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Do not say in your heart who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. What we see here that Moses is, is, is teaching, and this we find in the book of Deuteronomy, is that is that. People think that they're the ones that have to do these things. For the Jews, they were still trying to figure out how they can bring Christ to him by the actions that they were doing. But the reality is that we don't need to do that anymore. He has come on his own. He has come on his own to reveal himself to his people. He has come as the light, the, 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 the gospel of John's house says. He has come as the light. You know how, how important light is? 
<laughs> you know, my wife is laughing. You know why she's laughing? I know you guys are a church that likes to have fun. I already heard the announcements. She is laughing because last night we stayed at the Hampton Inn down, and I'm calling them out, okay? We stayed at the Hampton Inn in Patterson because all the ones here in Tracy were sold out. I don't know what you guys are doing here. But, but, but they were sold out, so we had to stay 30 minutes away. We drove in from L.A. last night, and we got in at 1.30, and uh, we, stayed, we, stayed at the, we stayed at the Hampton Inn, and we went in this morning to go take a shower. And again, my daughter's with us, and so, you know, we're, we're using the restroom at different, you know, you got to get up at 5 o'clock, ungodly hour of the morning. You got to get up at 5, you know, the whole bit, right? You got to get up at different times. And the lights are not working in the restroom. So my daughter took, if she sees some dirt on her, it's just, she took a shower first in darkness. Then my wife took a shower after her, you know, and then I took a shower last because, you know, they take a little bit longer to get ready. And, you know, the hair doesn't just wake up like this, right? I'm just saying. In darkness, right? In darkness. It's painful. But then, like, I'm almost, get, I'm almost done. I'm almost, re- and all of a sudden the glorious light came on. It was wonderful. It was wonderful. You know that the law was like darkness? It, it, it was just a shadow of what was to come. It was just a shadow of what was to come. They, it's so important to, to understand what is there because they have three bottles of, uh, of, of products in the shower. You've been to a hotel, you know this, right? And usually the way it's supposed to work is that the left one's the shampoo, the middle one's the conditioner, and the one on the right is the body wash. Amen? <laughs> that was not the case this morning. When the lights came on, that's the first thing I went to go check. That conditioner was the one that washed my body, and I put body wash on my hair thinking it was conditioner. (laughs) You know, it's so important to be able to see clearly and to understand and they misunderstood the law. They didn't understand what God was, was trying to say to them, how God was there for them. Paul says to the church in Galatia, says the law then was our guardian until Christ. It was our tutor until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. The law was just there to show them that they had a need For God to to fill that need through his ultimate sacrifice, Jesus. My wife has worked as a tutor in the past. As a tutor, she was just a person to help during the time that the kid was at home because the parents didn't have the time or the patience or the skills to be able to help the student. She was just a tutor. The teacher was the one that taught taught the students in the class. Christ, the law was just the tutor, but Christ is the teacher. Christ is the one that fulfills all things. He's the one that gives the final grade. The the tutor does not. Tutor gives you stickers and suckers when you do a good job and pats you on the back. It's the teacher that gives you the grade. 
They misunderstood who, what the law was for. They misinterpreted what the law was for. And, and because they did that, that did not bring them into a righteous relationship with God. In their foolish failed plan, they thought that they could obtain relationship again through their seal, through their deeds, by misinterpreting the law. But then number four, the last one here is, and this is the, probably one of the saddest one, is by completely ignoring Jesus. By completely ignoring Jesus. They were foolishly stubborn. Verses 16 through 18, it says, but all did not obey the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who, who has believed our message? So faith comes from what is heard, and, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. But I asked, did they not hear? They did. Their voice has gone out all, to all the earth, and their words to the ends in, of the inhabited world. Again, he came. He, he made himself visible to people. He came to his own, the gospel of John says, and they rejected him. They did not listen to his words. They did not, they did not pay attention to the testimony of who Christ was. Because they were so stuck on what they thought would work. They were wrong, sincerely wrong. And they were not in a right relationship with Christ. They were not in a right relationship with God. And folks, this world today has so many false messages about how to be right with God. But we have to understand and we have to pay close attention to the right relationship, God's righteous relationship for salvation. God's only plan for salvation. God's only righteous plan for salvation. Amen? Look at what it says here in, 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 in verse 8 through 9. He says, on the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you in your mouth and in your heart. This is the message of faith that we proclaim if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Not you might be saved or you could be saved, but you will be saved. With the heart one believes resulting in righteousness. Notice, it's, notice that it says that, that it results in righteousness, not that you have to do something else, but with the mouth what confesses, resulting in salvation. It's so important that we understand what God wants from every person that is lost, and that is for them to come to know him, that they may come to know him, that they may confess him as, as Lord, that they may believe in their heart. These two things are essential. This confession of Jesus as Lord is something that we see in Scripture over and over as public declarations of faith. It's not something that is just something that we do just with him. No, it's something that is publicly declared. Matter of fact, Scripture tells us that when it is not publicly declared, that it might not be righteousness at all. 
When you publicly declare Christ, Matthew 10, 32 says, therefore everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. 1 John 4, 15 says, for whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. This, this Christ in me is that right relationship of, of Christ in my life that is, that is on the throne of my heart, that is the one that's guiding me in my every decision that I make every day. Again, 1 John 2.23 says, No one who denies the Son can have the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. This confession is something that we, that we proclaim. It's something that we say with our mouths. Yes, we, we, we demonstrate it out through baptism. We demonstrate it through a change of lifestyle in the way that we're living, which is important. But folks, it is something that is confessed. And it's something that can only be confessed in the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in the... In, in the letter to the church of Corinth, in, in the first letter, in chapter 12, verse 3, Therefore, I am informing you that no one speaking by the Holy Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. No one can say Jesus is, is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. The only way you can say Jesus is Lord, that you can confess Jesus as Lord, is when the Holy Spirit comes and works in your heart, when he comes and works in your life, when he takes off the veil from your eyes and he demonstrates himself to you for who he is. As much as the pastor or anybody that comes sharing the good news of who Jesus is to your life, and they plead with all that they can, and they share with you all the scriptures. If the Holy Spirit is not there actively working to reveal himself for, to you, for you to be able to say, yes, Jesus is Lord, you can't confess him as Lord. Amen. It's a spiritual thing that happens. It's a transformative thing that happens for us to be able to say, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Lord. And again, those, that confession then, then demonstrates himself through baptism and through the lifestyle. Demons understand who Jesus is. The Satan understands who Jesus is, yet, yet they don't call him out as Lord. But those of us who put our faith in Jesus, we call him out as Lord because the, the Holy Spirit of God comes and he works in our lives Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11 says this, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be a day where every person will declare him as Lord. For those of us who have declared him as, as Lord of our life on this side of heaven before we die, we will declare him as, as Lord of our lives before everybody else all together at one time in a glorious manner, 
in a glorious manner. I can't wait for that day. But for those that have rejected Jesus and have tried to do, to, to have a righteous relationship with God like the, like the Jews did and like many other religious groups do, they will confess him as Lord with regret, with regret because they did not confess him as Lord in this lifetime. I tell you, if the Spirit of God is moving in your heart today and you have not confessed Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, that means that you're telling Jesus, Jesus, you come into my life and you lead me, Lord. Not that you are God only, not that you are Lord only, but you come and be the Lord of my life. When I confess my love to my wife, she actually did it first to me. That's a long story. We can't have time to share that. When I confess my love to her, I said it to her. It wasn't sufficient for me just to think it. She needed to hear it. It was a confession that came out of my mouth. We confess them as Lord of our lives. And then we live that out. Amen? Then we live it out. We confess Jesus Christ as Lord. It's something that we must do. We must understand that that. He is Lord, but we must also understand that second part of the passage. We must believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. We must believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. They're both important, this, this confession and believing. And I, and I believe that this believing comes first before we can confess. That we can confess that Jesus not only came into this world, not only lived a perfect life, that Jesus Christ lived that perfect life, but then he did the will of the Father and he died on the cross of Calvary and that he shed his blood for us and that he is the Lamb of God. This is what we believe. We believe that he did not only die, but that he was buried in the tomb and that three days later he rose from the dead. That's what we believe, that he has the power over sin, he has the power over death, and that he is sufficient for my sins to be forgiven because of what he paid for on that cross and that he has victory over sin and death and he proved it by resurrecting on the third day. That's what we believe. That's what we believe. And because we believe that, we confess him as the Lord of our lives. We say, now I'm going to live for you. Because you have saved me, Lord. Because you have brought me into a righteous relationship with you. I confess you as the Lord of my life. But I believe you did these things for me. It's important that we believe. Because for those that that do not confess, he says, if you do not confess me before man, I will reject you before men. Matthew 10 32 and 33 says, Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. 2 Timothy 2.12 says, If we endure, we will also reign with him. But if we deny him, he will also deny us. That confession and belief is so important that we do, that we do both when we come to Jesus understanding that without 
his sacrifice, without his death and resurrection, we have no hope to be in a righteous relationship with God. And this is not on, on the PowerPoint, but, but, but look at what it says in verse 11. Now the scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. That, that, that goes right along with that. If, you, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. But no one who believes in me no one who's made this confession of faith will be put to shame. For there's no distinction between Jew and Greek since the, since the same Lord of all is rich to all who call on him. If you call on him, there's, the, there's no matter if, it, if, if you've been a person who's been living according to the law, you've not even heard of the law, you didn't even care about the law, but you've come to faith in Jesus and you proclaim, his, proclaim him as Lord of your life. Folks, he will receive you. And look at what it says in verse 13 in such a beautiful verse. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone. Your past doesn't matter. He knows your future because he understands. He, he lives outside of time. We live in the today and yesterday, and we don't know about tomorrow, but he already knows your tomorrow. And when you come to him and you ask him for forgiveness of your sin and you confess him as Lord of your life, believing that God has raised him from the dead and who he, he is and what he's done for you, he takes you as his own. He takes you as his own. And then you call on him and you say, Lord, save me. Come and be the Lord of my life. I believe that you died on that cross for me and you resurrected and you have the power to save me, Lord. Come into my life. And if you do that, you call out to the Lord that way, you will be in a righteous relationship with God. Let me close out this way. Is the Holy Spirit of God working in your life today? If the Holy Spirit is working in your life today in such a manner that God has revealed himself to you by who he is in Jesus Christ and what Christ has done for you, and today you want to confess him as the Lord of your life, I'm going to invite you right where you're at to say this prayer. It's a prayer that you're going you're gonna to say it and you can, you can whisper it if you want. The Lord is right there. He will hear you and he knows your heart. He knows that if you're saying this prayer with belief and he hears your confession. And in this prayer, you're going to ask him to, you're going to invite him to come into your life and be the Lord of your life. And you're going to say to him, Lord, I believe I believe in what Jesus has done. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on that cross of Calvary for me and that he paid for my sins through his blood. And today I want to be in a righteous relationship with you, Lord. Not because of what I've done, but because of what you have done. And today you can do that. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With our head bowed and our eyes closed, before you say that prayer, I want to tell you, it's the best decision you can ever make in your life because it's an eternal decision. If the Spirit of the Lord 
is calling at you. Say this prayer and cry out to him. Say, Lord Jesus, I invite you to be the Lord of my life. I invite you to sit on the throne of my heart. I ask you, Jesus, to save me. I put my faith in you. I put my faith in you for the salvation of my soul. I believe today that you died on that cross of Calvary and you paid for my sins. I believe that you resurrected and that you have power over sin and death. Today I ask you, Jesus, come into my life. Save me, Lord. If that was your prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something that is bold because it's the way that we proclaim who we are and what we've done. And I know last time I was here, I invited some people to come, in, come up here and walk up here, but we didn't clean out the chairs this time. So I'm just going to ask you to do this. If you gave your life to Jesus today, we want to we do what the angels are doing right now in heaven because God already knows if you gave your life to Jesus today. If you gave your life to Jesus today, the scripture tells us that the angels in heaven are celebrating while we want to celebrate. Amen? And what I'm going to ask you to do after you pray that prayer is I'm going to ask you to stand up and say, I pray that prayer. And the rest of us, we're going to open our eyes and we're just going to cheer you on. This is the prayer. Pray it with me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me, Lord. Save me, Lord. Save me. I believe in you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that your, the, the sacrifice of your son Jesus on that cross was sufficient. Forgive me. If that was your prayer again, will you stand right where you're at? Will you stand? Will you be bold and say, that's my prayer. I see you standing. Praise God. Praise God. Will we cheer for them? Let's give them a hand. Let's give them a hand. Let's give God a hand, amen? Can I tell you this is the best decision? And what you need to do now is connect. Connect to Bible study. Connect to this, to this body of believers. And before you leave this place, go tell one of the pastors here. Go tell them, this is the decision I made today. I gave my life to Jesus. Because they need to continue to walk with you. Because what's going to happen the minute you leave this place, Satan's going to try to say that that was nothing he's going to try to mess with your head let the seed fall on good soil and continue to work in you the best decision you made ever in your life has made today God bless you let me pray Lord God thank you for this day thank you Father for those that have said Lord God save me Lord God I pray that they may now be able to share that message with others so that others may know how good you are. Thank you, Father, for letting us have a righteousness relationship with you, regardless of our foolishness. Father, thank you for Jesus, and thank you for your word, and thank you for the Spirit moving this morning. We ask these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.